The most spine-tangling of greetings to every single one of you. Those tunes, as always, are courtesy of the talented Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. So I just need to say something real quick. I literally just got back from Tombstone late last night, drove all day, started at 6.30 in the morning, and by the time we dropped off, my girl Kari in Albuquerque and my girl Angie in Del Norte, I then drove an extra two and a half to three hours to get to Pueblo. So it was a long day for sure. My eyes were pretty strained, but I do just need to say that I want to tell you why Tombstone is one of my most favorite places in the world. And it's simple. The people, they are so incredibly friendly. I'm going to do a full episode about that sometime soon when I could actually write things down. But I just do want to give a shout out to all the new friends we made. Seriously, it's just, it means so much, the kindness, and it just, it's phenomenal. They really do treat you like a local there. If you want to go somewhere where they're not going to treat you like some annoying tourist, go to Tombstone, Arizona. Hands down, one of the best places ever. So there we go. So when I was doing my research, my homework, if you will, for this topic for this episode, random facts kept popping up. And since this is going to be about something that is in Amsterdam, I want to kind of go into some of those fun facts before we dive deep into the damn square and its surroundings. Did you know that Amsterdam is built on poles? The Netherlands, which I have several listeners from all over that area, so thank you, is built on about 11 million and counting poles. Amsterdam Central alone has 9,000. And the Royal Palace on Dam Square, which I'll discuss more later, is said to be resting on 13,569 poles due to sea level. So, you know, just very, very interesting stuff how they make things happen. They make it work. You know, it's like, yes, we're like right here on the water, but guess what? We're still going to be here. We're still going to be living here, and you can't take that away from us. So, boom. So, another one. Did you know that if you die in Amsterdam and you don't have any friends or family, any loved ones at all, then an actual poet will write a poem just for you and recite it at your funeral? To me, that's awesome. That's, like, really, really cool. Gotta love that. Did you know? They have a cat shelter boat called the Boosenboot where they have over 50 cats looking for a home. And there are just so many other neat things, but I think it's time for us to hear about Dam Square. You see, the Zuiderzee Sea <laughs> was overflowing in the 13th century. And it was really scaring the people. They were extremely fearful that one day the sea would come and swallow them whole. Flood the entire town, right? And we've seen this before. So in 1270, the dam was built. 
damp square was the place to go to. During the 14th and early 15th centuries, it was originally used as a fish market. It later expanded, becoming a place for ships to load and unload their products. Now, as the years went on, businesses, they thrived and grew, and buildings, well, they were built. You'll find boutiques and amazing gourmet restaurants. Dam Square is even home to the Royal Palace. Even though royalty has long since hit the bricks, it still has a very royal beauty presence to it. And people can come and tour the place. Very, very cool. This phenomenal location has over 745 years of history connected to it. And you're about to hear some of that today. And some of it is going to chill you to the bone. It's one of the most famous landmarks here in Amsterdam. And people from all over the world continue to come every year to visit and see the place with their very own eyes. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, you could look at a picture and go, that's beautiful. But just being there in person, it's like, oh my God, it's a whole other ball game. One of the events that occurred here took place during the Nazi occupation, particularly falling on May 7th, 1945. The Nazi surrender, ending World War II, a war that my grandpa fought in, including Battle of the Bulge. People all over. Well, they're celebrating freedom. People, they're in tears. They're, they're crying happy tears. They were singing and dancing and rejoicing in the streets. Pure celebration was in the air, and I just got crazy goosebumps. You could hear it. You could feel it. Amsterdam, well, that was no different. They were thrilled. They were excited. Everyone was gathering to Dam Square to watch the Canadians come in. May 7th, 1945 was a day to respect, to honor, to celebrate, and damn well they were going to do just that. It would be a day that would go down in history, just not as they expected. Picture it. Damn Square, Monday, May 7, 1945. Families, they come in groups, lovers hand in hand, the happy child on his father's shoulders. Neighbors joining one another, cheers, excited cries, laughter, pure ecstatic joy. For years they lived in fear. It has ended and now they can breathe a sigh of relief. Suddenly the cheers are replaced by cries and screams and pure panic as they are soon stuck in a battle of their own. A battle that several will not survive. May 7, 1945, Germany surrenders the Allied forces. As people celebrate at Dam Square, the German Marines are on top of the rooftops of the Groot Club, monitoring the celebrations. The famed street organ is playing the cheerful music. And so... If you Google image Amsterdam street organ, that is the one that at least it was at Dam Square. And 
I found a video, so that was actually the beautiful sounds of that particular organ. So I'm going to play it just another little part real quick. So very cool, very cheerful, and yeah, very happy. German forces, they fire directly into the happy crowd of mainly Dutch citizens. And by the time this ends, 32 people will die, and over 230 are wounded. As bullets fly in every direction possible, people, they're starting to duck. And really, the only thing to hide behind are lampposts, which it's basically just the pole, you know, I mean, nothing huge, nothing that you can really hide under or next to, and the street organ, which offered a little bit more protection. The street organ suffers several shots, therefore saving several people's lives in the process that day. It has become kind of an iconic image here in Amsterdam, so again, look it up online. There's one eerie picture that I came across, and it's of several people hiding behind one another, the pole being their protector. And to the left is a ever so tiny figure, a little girl standing out in the open, no protection whatsoever. I actually found a blog, if you will, of her encounter, her experience, and more important, her survival. And I want to read that now. It's titled, The Little Girl Who Went for Ice Cream. My name is Tiny Vanderhoek. I was two and a half years old. And I was standing at the ice cream cart on the corner of Nuenjik Street and Dam Square, where I just got an ice cream. Immediately, the ice cream fell on the ground, to my very great disappointment. People ran or stood behind something. I saw that from the group club at the time. This was the place where German flags were hanging and soldiers were sitting. They were to blame for not having ice cream anymore, so I went there. My mother was left with the ice cream cart. I was walking on Dam Square towards the group club between running people, but exactly against the direction that they were going. I was already on the way when I was suddenly picked up by a gentleman. He took me in his arms, put his jacket around me, and ran towards Nuenjik, where I lived at the time. My mother came back, but nowhere there was shelter inside. Everything was full, and we were refused. That gentleman saw that there was room under the billiards in that shop. He kicked in a window. My mother crawled inside and took me in, and we had shelter under the billiards. That gentleman disappeared towards Dam Square. Was he going to provide more help or find shelter for himself? I don't know. In my memory, it was always slashes. Later, in an amateur video made by Bert Hanstra, I understood that those slashes were people behind the lampposts, looking for cover behind each other. During my mission complaining about having no ice cream, I was so focused on the corner window of the group club, it's the window I still look at when I'm in Amsterdam. That in my memory, people on the street resting. I didn't realize then that I was walking past dead or injured people. So mesmerized was I to tell those evil people how mean I found them. Fortunately, I was picked up and brought to safety. This event in May 7, 1945 is still on my mind. And of course, it was only later that I understood what was really going on. Well, what an incredible story of survival. This girl 
she is just two and a half years old. She she probably didn't know about World War II and just all of that stuff. She's concerned about her ice cream. A day that's supposed to be happy and rejoiceful is just like actual like World War Three, basically being you know shot on and it just I can't really imagine how that must have felt. So my heart really goes out to all of those people. So what exactly went wrong that day? How can things have escalated so quickly from being on top of the world celebrating to dying alone in the street. It's believed that one or more Nazi soldiers were demanded to disarm their weapons by a member of the Dutch Interior Armed Forces, and, well, they straight up refused. And at some point, two German soldiers are detained, and again, they are asked to surrender their weapons. One refuses. He's shot dead. Now, this is believed to have possibly ignited the shooting, the massacre. And during this commotion and the shooting, people came apart from each other. They became separated from their loved ones. And it was just an absolute nightmare. It's like you're watching a movie and you're just like, oh my God, no. And after the gunshots were no more, several dealt with the thoughts erupting in their minds, such as, did my loved ones make it out alive? Are they hurt? Most of the deceased were brought to the Zuderker and sorry, butcher of names here, where family and friends came to identify the bodies. Again, gut-wrenching, can't imagine. And this is how many of them were given back their names. I want to spend a couple of minutes and talk about the victims. Hope Baker, the father of three, was at Dam Square celebrating when the shooting happened. He did not have time to find cover, and he was shot in the head. Wilhelm Baker, owner of a nearby pub. He is shot in the stomach and he dies the following day. Johannesburg Bobajik. He's the group commander at his post at Domestic Armed Forces and he's shot several times and he does die later that day. Gertrude Bolin, the 15-year-old girl's father, had begged her that day not to go out to Dam Square. She was warned that there are still armed Germans out and about. She ignores his pleas, and off she goes, unfortunately, and that's the last time they see her alive. Later that night, mom, dad, and brother are searching for her when somebody approaches them saying that she has passed away. They never recover from her sudden loss. Elizabeth Debor, her niece and her run and take cover behind a flat carry, and she's shot and she dies that next day. She was 16 years old. William Van de Bugard, part of the domestic armed forces. He's shot while he's looking for shelter behind a lamppost in the front of the royal palace. He was buried with military honors. Herman Friedius Joseph Bud, a convict. He tells his wife that day, Darling, we're starting a whole new life. Comes to the city to welcome the liberators. He is shot dead. Wilhelm Sierd, father of seven, dies due to his wounds. His body is placed at the church where his wife identifies him. Jerry Gerard Buenardes Cornelis, the mass shooting's youngest victim, eight years young. His parents couldn't leave their bakery but let Jerry take his little brother to partake in the festivities. He would not live to see his ninth year. Petrie Antoinus Van Dam, married father of eight, is shot several times, body laid by the ice cream cart. 
Peter Hendrick Dijkmeger worked at the post office located behind Dam Square, went with his 12-year-old son to the market in Dam Square, and as the shooting begins, father and son, well, they're separated. His son survives, but is never the same again, and suffers mental problems for the rest of his life. Fran Johan Feller, the 18-year-old, ignores his family's pleas on not going, and he dies due to a shot in the stomach. Nien Everdina Johanna Budding Van Der Flyer, a newlywed with a seven-month-old baby. She's shot in the knee. She goes to the hospital, but is not seen right away as there are others with way more severe injuries, so she's sent home. Her condition worsens. She's eventually operated on later that day, but she dies. And it makes you kind of wonder if she were seen right away, if she would have survived. So to me, that's just so gut-wrenching as well. The whole thing is. Hendrina Louise Coper Frank, shot at the damn square, and she dies the same day. Jan Goad is on his bike to see the entry of the Allied forces. He had seven children, and one of them had the very grim task of coming and identifying his father's body. Maria Nella Jaeger Van Holt, mother of a one-year-old daughter, dies to gunshot wounds. Van Petrus Hendrikis Antoinus Kuchis. His family had come here, fleeing from the Battle of Amham. When the shooting started, the 19-year-old threw himself on top of a nearby 5-year-old child, using his body as a shield. He dies, but he saved that child that day. Elizabeth Wayland Lacourt. She went with a neighbor friend to celebrate. When she never came home, her children searched for her and found her body. It's believed that she died instantly. Wilhelm de Levaux. His family had gathered to celebrate the liberation. He did not want to go, but was persuaded to do so. The 14-year-old is walking in front of his mother when loud shots are fired. His mother notices that his back is suddenly red, just covered in blood. He's been hit. He dies, and his mother, she feels guilty, and she never recovers, and it's basically said she died a short time later from guilt. Hilji Nastenbrook. Her young brother believes when the shooting started, she probably fled in the direction of the peak in Klopenberg and was most likely pushed through a window. Around her neck was a beautiful wreath of flowers draped to cover up her neck wound. Antje Quante Mulke, shot in the neck, died before getting to the hospital. Hans Johan Ums, he was with his mother at the dam to sing with the Salvation Army. He dies when he's shot in the heart. The Salvation Army buries him May 10th. Had he lived, he would have turned 17 years old the following day on May 11th. Rika Overjik, the 12-year-old, was known for her gorgeous blonde curls. And that sweet girl died after being shot. Wilhelm Theodora Schachmore, buying cigarettes when he's instantly killed. Jan Johan Wilhelma Selman dies from his wounds. Hendrik Karlschmidt. He is walking past Dam Square when he's hit. He lives for several days. Doctors are actually shocked that he held on for so long, finally dying on the 10th day. Altega Schaffer Schmormberg. Shot and he dies shortly after. Jorianus Lamberges Stott was with his neighbor and saved her from death. Johannes William Schrapmorg. 
a flour merchant who worked at the dam. He was with his dad when he was shot. Noel Arnoldus Petrusdrop went to celebrate with his family. His son, on top of his shoulders, waiting to watch the Canadians come. His wife takes their son home after a while, and a little over an hour later, he will be dead. If you hear that beautiful little jingling sound, that is the gorgeous jazz cat coming in. Hi, Jazzy. Sophia Frederica Mathilda Vermulen Devry. At Dam Square, she's with her grandson. She protects the child with her body. She dies two days later due to gunshot wounds, a pulmonary embolism, and a fracture to her right femur. And last but certainly not least, Hendrickus Williamson, holding his child's hand when he's shot in the belly, dying before his daughter's very eyes. And not one single person was arrested or tried for these horrendous crimes, for this massacre, for this bloodbath. And there were more than a few times that the people that I just read, the victims, they used their body to shield other people. So... The list would have been a lot longer if it weren't for that. And I'm sure there's so many other cases where that actually happened. You know, this was 1945. This would not be the first time that Dam Square saw death. In fact, it was used for death for centuries. It is here at Dam Square where public executions were held. From burning witches to putting down hardened criminals, Dam Square and death were no stranger from one another. In fact, they were hombres. For a criminal to be handed the nice present known as the death penalty, they had to admit to the crime. Right at Dam Square, as mentioned earlier, stands the gorgeous royal palace. And it's here where the court of justice was. Criminals, they would be handed out their sentences, usually death, during a special public ceremony. There was a justice room where it would all go down. There were even windows so the public can come and watch if they wish to do so. And down in the cellar of the Amsterdam Royal Palace was an area full of prison cells, dungeons, and yes, even torture chambers. Can we get any more medieval than this, my friends? Like, for real. Now, it's down here where they would be questioned and where most people confessed. After the ceremony, the execution would take place at Dam Square. Beheadings, burning, strangling, and hangings. It all happened right here at historic Dam Square. Hundreds of years of history. Today, if you go in there, you'll see the justice room is decorated with sculptures of three famous verdicts. Salucus, Solomon, and Brutus. Symbols of justice, death, and punishment. I'd like to talk about just a tiny handful of the executions. Remember, this has been centuries in the making of executions, so what I'm reading is just like not even 1%. One took place in 1535. Amsterdam Anabaptist leader Jacob Van Campen was mutilated, beheaded, and engulfed in flames. Radical Affiliations were occurring when Anabaptist rebellion at Munster sent the movement into the wilderness. He was a wanted man since the year before, back in 1534. Well, eventually he's captured. He is sentenced to be publicly exposed on a scaffold at Dam Square, wearing a tin mitter 
with an imprint of the city's coat of arms. And after being exposed as a mocked bishop for about an hour, maybe longer, his tongue, which he had used to deceive people, was cut out. His right hand, which he had used to rebaptize, was chopped off. He's then decapitated and burnt. His head and his hand were exhibited on the Harlem Fort. Then we have the 1664 execution of Elsich Christians. Up to this point, it's been 21 years since a woman had been executed in Amsterdam. The Danish girl murders her landlord with an axe. She leaves her native Jutland and heads to Amsterdam with the hope in her heart that she can find work as a maid. She's unable to find a job, and she's finding herself in deep waters. She's unable to pay rent. She's desperate. She gets into an argument with her landlady, which escalates into a physical fight. The landlady is just so over this. She doesn't need the shit. She gave this girl a place to live, and she expects to get paid for it. Who can blame her? So the landlady grabs a broom and waves it at Elst. And she warns her that if she doesn't pay her, she's not getting her belongings back. Which, it wasn't a lot of belongings. She had very little to her name. And so this did not go well with her. She's like, wait a second. <laughs> no. So Else grabs a nearby axe and kills the landlady, who only had a broom to defend herself. The scuffling sounds and the yelling attracts the attention of a neighbor who comes over to investigate the matter. The turned murderess grabs a coat and flees. She is literally covered in the victim's blood. She jumps into the canal. Many believe this was a suicide attempt. People who witnessed this, they pull her out and she's soon arrested and she's sentenced to death. It will be a public execution. Strangling at a garret at the damn square, that is her sentence. But before that happens, she was hit several times with an axe. Not just any axe, my friends, but the axe that she used to brutally murder her victim. Yep, folks, the old murder weapon. After her execution, her body, along with the axe, are exhibited at a pronger in Volwichik. But they do this at the moor, where it stayed hung up for some time. Rembrandt, who had long since been fascinated with death, paints the scene more than once. Fast forward to 1748, three instigators are hanged at Dam Square. Rewind back a few days earlier, if you will. 19 tax collectors and the magnates' homes are completely destroyed during violent protests. A fishmonger and a mother, Marich Arantz, well, her husband, he's a soldier. He's deployed. She's trying to keep her head above water, raising her children alone. I mean, I don't care if it's centuries ago or today. I'm sure. I don't have children, but I'm sure that is no easy feat. What to do, what to do. Does she go out and get a job? No. Does she get a babysit gig for extra do-re-mi? No. Does she head over to the red light district to earn some money? Again, what the hell is a lady to do? She helps rioters. She's even seen at the scene of one of the homes helping destroy it. And when confronted, she spits at the agent and says, Today we are the boss, and tomorrow we will come to you at town hall. Then we will see what we will do with all of you gentlemen land thieves. 
She then proceeds to lift her skirt up. Now you can clean my ass. That's all I have left for you. Okay, so this woman, if you want to call her that, <laughs> that's not very ladylike, but, you know, she goes to her market stall to conduct business a couple days later as if earlier she wasn't wreaking havoc, as if she wasn't part of a riot, a, a very non-peaceful protest, destroying stuff. She's acting like she's all normal, just a normal day, baby, nothing going on here. She's arrested for sedition, and it's not like today where people sit on death row for decades. No bullshit. The very next day, her, along with two other rioters, are publicly executed, hanged at the WAV at Dam Square. Through the sounds of drums, you can hear her threats. Revenge, my dear citizens' assistance, for you now let me die so shamefully while I have not fought for myself. I did it for the whole country against the tyranny of the tenants who tormented us citizens and forcibly took our money and good for the lease. After her execution, something utterly horrible happens. As they are hanging the other two rioters, a huge disturbance breaks out in a large crowd. What it's from, I don't know. Maybe it was family members seeing their loved ones being hanged. Maybe it was something completely different. I don't know. But what is known is that several people are trampled or crushed to death while others are thrown into the Amstel River. Besides the three executed people, it's estimated that close to 200 additional people lost their lives that day. Like, mind blown. That's horrible. Can't believe that. I just talked about the tiniest of morsels of executions for thousands have died here. During the Spanish Inquisition, several people were accused of being witches and they were burned to death here. With such dark and bloody history, is it really, I don't know, a shock that this location is considered to be extremely haunted? People have seen apparitions here. Many believe that some of the condemned souls continue to roam Dam Square. There's many surrounding areas that are haunted here as well. A short walk away is an old spring house called Spinhus. It was founded in 1597 as a penitentiary for women. It's now a hotel, but back then in its heyday, it sure had some unruly gals here. There's a famous story connected with this former penitentiary. Long ago, a priest and a young girl, they fell in love. Knowing that it would be taboo, you know, you're a man of the cloth. And this is a young girl. I don't know what her age was, but even if she was a legal age, it's still kind of like, okay, what are you doing? This isn't right. Well, they decide that there's nothing that they can do about their love. Well, the priest, he's utterly devastated. He commits suicide, and the girl is said to have spent the rest of her life at Spinhus. Well, the priest, his tormented spirit remains are found and haunts one of the now hotel rooms. Now, is it a room she was living in for the rest of her life? I don't know. Maybe she's there too. Whoever it is, hotel staff refused to go in that room because so many weird things have happened there. And one last thing, when it comes to Haunted Amsterdam, as I was doing my research for this episode, one story kept popping up, popping up, popping up. So I felt I better share this as it's quite the story and it, it apparently wants to be shared. So Spookstick. It's a sad tale about two sisters, Dina and Helena. A young, handsome sailor, he comes into town, comes along and falls 
ever so desperately head over heels in love with one of the sisters, Dina. Well, let me tell you, the feeling, well, it's mutual. She falls for him too. He's perfect. He's friendly. He's caring and loving and full of compassion. Not to mention he's a girl's absolutely gorgeous. Well, this does not sit well with Helena at all. Not one bit. The longer the sailor and Dina are together, the more they date, the more jealous Helena gets. She's seething. This just simply won't do. She soon erupts. She murders Dina, her own flesh and blood, her own sister. I mean, unbelievable. The sailor, he's beside himself. He just, he wanted to marry this woman. He wanted to spend the rest of his life with her. The love of his life is brutally taken away. Her sudden death leaves him shattered, devastated, and, well, completely heartbroken. Well, you guys, guess who's there to console him? Yeah, you guessed it, that sweet, sweet girl, Helena. She lost her sister. He lost his lover. They confide in each other. They have a strong bond. They both lost somebody near and dear to them. You feel for them, right? Well, fast forward some time, and Helena marries the sailor. And this is just what she had planned. This was her dream. I mean, she killed for this ha to happen. Marriage and companionship with an ever-so-gorgeous sailor, even if she had to steal him away from her own sister. Well, several years go by, and Helena is now on her deathbed. Feeling guilty, she finally spills the beans, confessing her murderous crime to her husband. He's shocked, disgusted, and rightfully so. She pleads for mercy, begs for his forgiveness. No such luck. She murdered his true love, used him, lied to him, and a huge nasty murderous lie at that. He curses her soul to roam in misery for eternity. And it's said that in the 100th anniversary of her death, a woman's screams were heard in the area where she killed her sister. Was that her or was it her sister? I don't know. From time to time, her scream can still be heard. People believe it's the tormented screams of Helena. On more than one occasion, people have seen her apparition roaming the dark alley where the tannery once stood so long ago, clearly unable to find peace. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes. Listen to the others, you guys. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry. Seriously, you can binge listen right now by heading on over to any of those podcast platforms such as Spotify, CastBox, Tell. Deezer, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, wherever you may roam to listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Winchester, Virginia, Estelle, Louisiana, Columbia Heights, Montana, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, and Larvik Municipality. Thank you so much, you guys, rock stars, every single one of you. Absolutely. Don't forget to show that subscription button some love. Throw a review my way. Have a tell to share. Email me at parabrow at gmail.com. See you next week.